Okay, everybody, Doug here in the studio. I'm going to do a quick solo podcast on Clint Eastwood's 1992 Western Unforgiven. I know that a lot has been said about this movie, and that's why I'm not going to do a full top-to-bottom recap on it, but I did recently have the chance to rewatch it, and it has made me think about the film and also about Westerns in general and about Unforgiven's role in all of Western cinema, meaning movies about Westerns, not cinema from Western culture. The film uh, won four Academy Awards. Eastwood himself took home Best Picture and Best Director. Um, It also won Best Supporting Actor and Best Film Editing. Honestly, it probably should have won uh, Best Screenplay, but it, it didn't, although it was nominated. Unforgiven is interesting to me because it really marks uh, my personal, the beginning, I guess I would say, of my interest in Westerns. Um, As a kid, I uh, was exposed to a lot of Westerns, almost all of which made no impression on me. Um, Growing up, there were a lot of rerun Westerns on, all of which looked incredibly stagey and largely fake to me. Um, And most Westerns that I was exposed to as a kid that were movies and not television shows sort of had a similar feel. Like, I I distinctly remember even being aware that, like, if you were riding a horse, you know, through rough country for days on end, how could you be clean shaven or how could your hat be perfectly white or how could your pants have a crease in them? Like, it just a lot of Westerns I was exposed to. And maybe you can make the argument that I was exposed to the wrong Westerns, but a lot of the Westerns I was exposed to just looked too cheap and too crummy and too stagey and we're we're too heavy-handed about the fact that they were trying to be morality plays. Um, I remember when Unforgiven came out, um, I wasn't super interested in seeing it, but I kept hearing consistently good things and people were saying that this was a different kind of Western. So I did ultimately see it and right away, I mean, 10 minutes into it, I was able to recognize that I was seeing essentially a transformative film for the genre of Western films. Um, I could never remember seeing a film where people in the Old West talked that way. The The dialogue is much less formal, much more comfortable and relaxed, and, and more realistic. Um, they swear, they, they speak a sort of lower form of uh, vernacular English to imply their the roughness of their education and their life in general. Uh, the movie is filmed in a way that makes the Old West look beautiful, but not necessarily glamorous. Um, the The hookers in the movie don't have the stereotypical heart of gold. Clearly, the hookers uh, in the film, or as they're referred to, whores, um, that put the bounty on the two cowboys that uh, William Money and his uh, two partners go after, you know, they have it in mind to have these two cowboys killed. Uh, They're extremely angry over the injury uh, delivered upon Delilah by uh, one of the two cowboys. And even though the other cowboy clearly feels guilt and shame over it, um, he's not really spared from their wrath. Like, they pretty much want him dead, too. And I thought that was interesting that the, the prostitutes are portrayed that way. Most Western movies um, typically have very black and white characters, as I mentioned before, right? The good cowboy or the bad cowboy. And and Unforgiven really, at its core, plays with this question, right? Is William Money, the Clint Eastwood character, a reformed man who has put drinking and violence behind him? Or is he really the same wild, 
violent, deadly man that he was years before, 10, 11 years before, we're told, when he ran around uh, with the Morgan Freeman character. And throughout the film, uh, William Money asserts again and again and again that he has reformed and he has changed, that his his uh, dead wife has uh, produced a lasting and beneficial impact on him and he can't go back to the way he was. Uh, as the movie goes on, it becomes more and more clear that maybe you can take... Um, the gunfighter out of the old West, but you can't take the old West out of the gunfighter, so to speak. And that William money still very much understands what killing is all about. Uh, and that when pushed in the right way, he's more than capable of handling himself in the roughest of quarters. He does say very early in the movie that he believes that a lot of his violence when he was younger, uh, was due to drink and William money's, ultimate return to violence is in fact aided by him drinking for the first time in many years at the end of the film and the climax obviously i'm giving spoilers on a movie that's 25 years old you know william money is shown to be capable of essentially killing every last person in the room and walking out alive um so i think the movie does sort of resolve the question in that you know at the end of the day william money is an incredibly violent and dangerous person or as the schofield kid calls him the worst of them all. But it's interesting that they actually went that way. And I think a lot of lesser scripts would have had William Money finish the movie as a, a regular hero as a not, for example, say, as an anti-hero. For me, I think Unforgiven really marks a dividing line in the Western genre. And I kind of feel like, with very, very rare exception, there's, you know, Unforgiven... Every, all, all Western movies really can be divided into before or after... Unforgiven, and really after Unforgiven, we start to see a slew of movies that are clearly heavily influenced by Unforgiven. Uh, ones that come to mind are Open Range, 310 to Yuma. Um, probably the best example is True Grit, because True Grit has a pre uh, Unforgiven version to compare it to. And for example, the John Wayne version of True Grit is very much in the mold of a classic Western that feels very, very stagey in Hollywood. It's a good movie and they do a good job of it, but the Coen Brothers True Grit, which is much, much closer to the novel, um, is really very much in the unforgiven mold, where, for example, the Rooster Cogburn character that's played by Jeff Bridges in True Grit, as opposed to the Rooster Cogburn character that's played by John Wayne, you know, the, the Jeff Bridges version is a much more ambiguous character who is much more fluid in terms of the way that he deals with good and evil. You could argue that The Revenant is a post-unforgiven Western. Um, and really now you couldn't make a Western movie that was in the old mode where it was more sort of silly and black and white and goofball. Um, I think audiences wouldn't buy it. And, you know, it's sort of like once you have the Sopranos, right? Or once you have Goodfellas, you can't go to mob movies that don't portray the mob in a more realistic manner, right? When you, you create these characters as 3D complex people, you can't really go back to, uh, two-dimensional or cardboard cutout views of, of gangsters or mobsters as sort of black-and-white villains. I think Eastward deserves enormous credit uh, for the casting of this movie. Um, obviously, he's great as uh, William Money. Hackman, who originally didn't want to do this film and essentially had to be talked into playing Little Bill, really does a phenomenal job and was rewarded with an Academy Award, as I mentioned earlier. 
Um, it's interesting that he picked an African-American to play Ned Logan. I haven't read the screenplay. I don't know if Ned is African-American in the screenplay or not, but having Morgan Freeman in that role gives it a whole other layer of complexity. Uh, I was very happy to see Richard Harris in it. Uh, the first time I saw it, I've always liked Richard Harris as an actor. Um, Frances Fisher is great as Strawberry Alice. Uh, Anna Levine is terrific in her small role as Delilah Fitzgerald, the prostitute who is disfigured. Um, and for the official uh, popcorn drink combo Star Trek callout, Saul Rubinek plays W.W. W. Beauchamp, uh, the writer, uh, also known to Star Trek fans uh, for his role as Kivas Fajo in the Star Trek The Next Generation episode, The Most Toys. I have often thought that perhaps only Clint Eastwood could have made Unforgiven. It's it's sort of like only Nixon could go to China, meaning that, you know, Eastwood had been doing Westerns literally his entire career. I mean, the, the country was first introduced to Clint Eastwood in his role as Rowdy Yates on Rawhide, um, you know, and through all the spaghetti Westerns, Outlaw Josie Wales, all the other Westerns he did over the years, you know, Eastwood had been immersed in this Western genre and had essentially made... Uh, every kind of Western you could make before Unforgiven. And I think he recognized in David Peoples' script that this was a truly revolutionary and transformative Western. Um, It's said that he sat on the script for a couple years because he wasn't old enough to play William Money and he wanted to wait until he was old enough to play William Money, and he certainly was right in that decision. But again, I think a lot of people uh, probably either didn't see what this script really had in terms of potential or just felt that it was probably off-putting and too harsh. Uh, the stories that the script bounced around Hollywood for years and years and years, uh, picked up briefly by Coppola, who eventually lost the rights to it, only to have them snatched up by Eastwood, who, when he read it, uh, said, hey, this is exactly what the Western genre needs. Um, it's interesting to note that the script is uh, almost identical to what David Peoples originally wrote. Most screenplays obviously go through extensive rewriting processes, but what you see on the screen is largely what David Peoples wrote. Many of the actors and people who worked on it commented on how unusual that was in a film. I think it is interesting to note that since this movie, Eastwood has not returned to the Western genre. Uh, perhaps he feels he can't do it better, or maybe he feels like this allowed him to put Westerns on a shelf and move on to the other kinds of films that he's made uh, that have been fantastically successful. Um, I will say, uh, just to wrap up on a personal note, that this movie did make me reevaluate Westerns as a whole, and I found that from Unforgiven, I was able to sort of enjoy the Western genre much more than I ever had as a young person. Uh, and now, for example, a lot of Westerns that I think I would have written off as corny or silly or too Hollywood or cheesy uh, when I was younger, I think now I can watch and really get a lot more out of. I think Unforgiven really opened the door for me. I've gone back and watched a lot of John Wayne movies. I've watched uh, many episodes of old TV shows, most notably uh, Rawhide. But even more so, um, I've watched quite a lot of Half Gun Will Travel, which is you know, about as stagey as a Western can get, but it's it's very, very well done. And again, I think Unforgiven sort of gave me the impetus to go back and explore the genre that was largely unknown to me. You know, I'd watched science fiction to the point of exhaustion as a young person, but uh, this was something new to me, and I guess I have Clint to thank for that. Anyway, I will wrap up there. Um, I imagine almost everyone uh, listening to this podcast has seen Unforgiven, but I would say that it's worth a rewatch, not so much for the the plot and the story, although that's great to see, 
but for sort of thinking about how it changed all of films uh, and the Western genre and really was a transformative film, right? Uh, in the way that, for example, Star Wars was for science fiction or The Godfather uh, and Goodfellas were for mob movies, Unforgiven really is for Western films. Again, certainly one of my all-time favorites. Um, I'm going to be thinking about it for a long time. And like I said, if you get a chance and a cop pops up on cable or Netflix, uh, definitely uh, give it its due. Uh, you won't regret it. Thanks, everybody. Back next week.